The sixth petition is the subject of the sermon this morning. The sixth petition of what? Of the Lord's Prayer, so-called. Perhaps better put, the disciples' prayer. Jesus gave us this prayer to pray as we're on earth. And that's found in the book of Matthew and in another parallel passage, but Matthew 6. And the sixth petition is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what that means, in summary fashion, is found in the first part of Lord's Day 52 in our Psalter hymnals. You can look at that if you want, uh, page 63 in the back of the Psalter hymnal. What does the sixth request or petition mean? And it means this, according to the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563, and we believe it's an accurate meaning as well, an explanation as well. By ourselves, this is what this petition means. We pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We, we, we say, by ourselves, we're too weak to hold our own even for a moment. That's why we need to pray. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. So, Lord, uphold us, this is what we mean, and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. That's the explanation of the catechism and we'll expound the scriptures and in light also of that explanation in the sermon as we go along. But remind us as we come to this last of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, that we've really come full circle and we've seen that the whole of the petitions are all related, as is the address and the conclusion. It's all about God, our Father who is in heaven. He's no earthly father. He's a heavenly father. He's God who inhabits eternity and sits on the throne. And so we address this God and we start out by magnifying his name. Hallowed be your name. This is a proper prayer. doesn't mean that in all of our prayers that has to be the first thing we say, but it has to be the first thing we mean or maybe something underlying us in our de- desperation. Perhaps we might utter a prayer like Peter did on the water, but he's sinking, Lord, save me, and that's the first thing on his mind, but underneath it is, hallowed be your name. Is that really what characterizes all your prayers? And what is the meaning behind your praying that God's name would be hallowed. That's a test of the authenticity and the divinity of our prayer. Are we seeking to hallow the name of God, our Father in heaven, in all of it? Praying for daily bread, daily needs, forgiveness for the kingdom to come, not ours, his, his will to be done, not ours, his, And now, lead us not to temptation. And that, as we consider this for a little bit here, that temptation, therefore has to be, or that that prayer to lead us not to temptation, that that has to be with the first petition in, in light, doesn't it? Hallowed be your name, and here's how we want your name to be hallowed. That's the connection. First petition to last by making us holy, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, and your name be hallowed. Because in the sanctification of your people, we're understanding something here. And that's what this is all about, in their holiness, being kept free from sin. There's something of the magnification of the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit of God and of Christ in this whole business of our being kept from sin and our praying with desperation sometimes, oh God, lead me not into this temptation that's right before me. 
Deliver me from this evil that's right before me, that's under the bed and in the closet or in the bar. Deliver me from the evil. Hallowed be your name in delivering me and in making me holy, a holy son of God. I want us to consider the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in light of the Bible, of course, and a particular concept of the Bible called the wilderness, wilderness experience of the people of God. This is, after all, why we need to pray this. We're in a wilderness of wickedness. For that, let's turn, shall we, to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, in the first 15 verses. Turn if you dare. I'll say this, every time we hear the Word of God or read it now, it's a dare because it's going to expose something of us, and we're daring to be changed by what we hear preached from the Word we're going to read. And it's a good dare, though. It's the the dare of faith, the challenge of faith, and the goad to faith. 1 Corinthians 10, children, you make sure you read along or listen very carefully. It's a time not just to let mom and dad read for you or whatever or the minister, but we're all to be involved here. Paul writes here, inspired by God, to a church that needed sanctification, holiness. They were all over the map in their unholy endeavors and boasts. Moreover, brethren, he writes to the Corinthians and to us, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And he's referring to the Jews here, who were the people of the promise. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here's a setting here, just to remind us, of Israel being led out of the wilderness and being blessed of God as a nation in the wilderness, all of them by being baptized into Moses, into his leadership, and receiving from heaven revelations and even drinking of the rock Christ and of the manna eating that was poured out from heaven. It's a summary of God's blessings. But here's the big but, verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies, proof of it, they were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Let me emphasize that differently. These things became our examples to the intent that We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolatrous as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ or test him as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, our warning, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This last verse now, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. May we wisely receive this word of God, and now, as it's declared I want to consider the sixth petition under the theme, 
Lord, lead us always, in parentheses, and lead us not, in parentheses, ever into temptation. So I want to consider the leading of God here. That's what's being told here in the petition. We're having to do with the leading of God, but not into temptation. Not into temptation. We don't want that. So lead us not into temptation. Make us holy and deliver us from evil. All has to do with this wilderness. And that's what we want to talk about in the first place, God leading with the wilderness. And then secondly, how this is a grace way. You'll be thinking here about how to deal with temptations. I know some of you, and I know myself, we have to deal with temptations that are worse than a pain in the neck, that are a pain in the heart, especially when we fall into them and succumb to sin over and over and over again. Want to be encouraged, encouraged by the promise in that point about the grace way in the wilderness, but then finally, that there's a sure way that God has for us all the way to heaven. He will deliver us from evil. So God's way in the wilderness, that's what we want to deal with now. And and bear with me as I describe what I'm going to mean by wilderness here. There is something striking about this temptation that has caused the Pope himself to say we ought to change that. Imagine the Pope changing the word of God. And so, some years ago, he said, it's not a good, tempta- uh, good petition. It's not a good translation. It's, it's not good. After all, we're saying there, we're, we're to pray there, God, lead us not in temp- tem- into temptation. And that sounds like if we didn't pray it, that he would lead us into temptation. But God doesn't lead us into temptation ever, does he? That's not evil. He doesn't want us to sin. It's the exact opposite of God. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 13, as it says, God is not tempted, neither tempteth he any man with, with evil. The blame is on ourselves, squarely. But the petition implies that if we don't pray it and God doesn't answer it, he's going to just lead us into temptation and maybe cause us to sin. So the Pope didn't like that, so he tried to change it. I don't know if they have it. You know, it's, it, it amounts to a change of the Vulgate translation of the Roman Catholic Church. But he wanted to change it like, let us not fall into sin. Let us not fall into sin. And so you get God out of the picture and you don't have him leading anyone or possibly leading anyone to sin because he's good and he won't do that. Well, that's the problem with the Roman Catholic Church and with many people and also us today. We want to get God out of the picture (laughs) so foolishly. As if God were the problem and God's word that we don't understand so well is the problem and therefore we'll just change the word of God and make it more convenient. Well, the fact is, beloved, God leads us always. And sin is involved that is, our sins and the devil's sins and the world's sin, with God doing the leading still. God sovereignly leading everything that he has made and ordained. He's not the author of sin. We start there as people who love the good God, of course. And we start as well at the fact that God is above us and his ways are higher than us. And so the fact is, he led everything and he created everything so there there might be sin and a fall and problems in this world. But he doesn't get to blame for that. We have to deal here with the age-old problem of God and evil. When we're speaking of God leading us not into temptation, are praying that, knowing that God leads us everywhere, 
through sin's temptations and through the valley of the shadow of death and death itself. God's leading us. Let's not leave God. We have a problem in our little minds with how He leads and the fact that there's sin. It goes back way to the garden. God made a garden, right? It was all good. Everything was good, very good, and He rested on the seventh day in sweet and divine composure and felicity and delight in everything He'd made and everything that also would come to pass out of that wonderful creation He made in six days, in six literal days. It was all good. It was a good garden, and everything yielded to Adam and Eve, and everything was good for them, and there was no threat to them, no wild animals threatening their life, and all of these things that we we know today, and all of the evil. But then, of course, what happened? There came a snake into the garden, walking and talking, Satan in the form of that serpent, and the rest is history, as we say. And here can be one description of what happened. The whole world was a garden there, in that world. The whole world, including the garden, became a wilderness, a wild place, a wild place of threatenings, to physical life, and of sin. In fact, that's how we could describe this whole world that lies in wickedness, John says. It's a wilderness of a wicked world. And Israel's being led through the wilderness, 40 years, is a picture of Israel being led through the world. It wasn't just that the problem was Uh, lack of water and lack of food and physical enemies, the problem was sin and why they were not led into the promised land, most of them, is because of their sin, their sin. And the wilderness today of our own existence, even in the New Testament, is a wilderness of sin. You know that? Revelation 12 describes that Satan, who went after the man-child, and the man-child, however, was caught up to heaven. He died and went to heaven. The ascension is described there. But then that church that's left after him has to escape into the wilderness in in this world. We're a church of the wilderness. And this, 1 Corinthians 10, is 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 a wonderful example to us of how not to behave in the wilderness, but it is an example to us, first of all, that we too live in a wilderness. The same world of of Israel, the world since the fall. It's all the wilderness. Wild place. And this is where the temptations come. This is what I'm getting to. The temptations come from this wilderness and our existing in it. Amazing. And I would have us know, and we need to know, that nature of that sin in that wilderness. It's a wild place where evil things destroy. It's... uh, Society we live in where there are temptations on every side to sin, and where the marvels of this age, this technological age, can be used to the devil to spread heresy and to spread lies and to dupe many who hardly know anything from their churches even. And also there are temptations of the body and temptations in our free time and internet and all of these things. Uh, Themselves not wrong these things, but in this wilderness used by the world and the devil and by which we're enticed 
to sin, the wilderness. So, but God leads through that wilderness. And certainly when we consider this this, uh, petition, lead us not into temptation, we're not saying that God would lead us never into the wilderness. That's impossible because this is a wilderness full of temptations. We're not saying that God would never expose us to any temptation or any trial, as the word can be translated. Life is full of trials and temptations, and according to the sovereign decree of God and his good way, he's not only let this happen, but he's ordained that this would happen, that paradise, the first, would be now paradise lost. The garden would turn into a wilderness, and man would eke out a living and be tempted to be frustrated and to throw his shovel down and say, what's the use? I'm going to the bar. All in the plan of God, right? If God is God. If God is God, that's our first principle, isn't it? In this Reformed church, ought to be the first principle of every true church. Remember the first petition, hallowed be thy name. This is what we want here. It's what you want, right? You come to church, you want to hallow the name of God? Well, somehow it's, it's tied in with the wilderness. And the, the plague of man, who's now an enemy to God and an enemy to himself and is striving and fighting tooth and claw against other wilderness beings and seeking to eke out a living and to be on top of everybody else. First society, Babel. Man could make a name for himself and somehow be above the wilderness problems, but himself saying and is making a name for himself, hallowed be man's name. There's no doubt the first Babel had like plans that we have or stratagems that our society has. They were fixed on fixing this planet and they were fixed on having peace and they were fixed and set on promoting a culture of man without all of this religion and their songs were imagining that there's no religion because it's the problem of everything. And those sons of Seth and, and all of that, they're just, forget them and their God. Temptations. The whole world lies in wickedness, John. 1 John five nineteen. The same apostle of love, 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, for all that's in the world is not of the Father. It's of the world, of the devil. He is evil. Don't love it. Hate it. Speaking of the wilderness, the wild place in which we live, and one of the first things you have to know, and I have to know, if if we're going to be led not into the temptation, more on that presently, is that what temptations are. They are temptations to sin. And that sin is sin. It's bad. It's the dehallowing of the name of God, if that were possible. The getting him out of our life. The impurity that allows us to simply be who we want to be to identify as anything we want to be. A cat, maybe. It's that bad. But you see, Israel, the people of God, they were the Old Testament people of God, were likened unto them, was led through the wilderness 
We have to make that distinction and understand that. There's a wilderness into which they were led. And there's a wilderness through which we must go. But we're not the wilderness. We're not the world. By the grace of God, there's a difference, clean difference, of the people constituted the people of God. Israel, ever, after all, is the one baptized into the name of Bo- Moses, a picture of being baptized into Christ. They were led through the Red Sea. The Passover lamb was killed for them, and they therefore were covered, and their homes were covered by the blood of the lamb. Yes, you see, Israel in the wilderness, not the wilderness, is the people of God for Christ's sake. They are fed in the wilderness. The manna from heaven, picture of Jesus, John 6. They are watered from the rock that followed them. Miraculously, mysteriously, I don't think literally, but certainly that rock was Christ. Wherever they drank, the rock was Christ. They were drinking of Christ. And you think of the other ways that God cared for them in the wilderness with spiritual blessings, for example, of light in the wilderness Israel was given the light of the Shekinah glory, so at night it would be a cloud, and in, or at, at night it would be a light, in the day it would be a cloud of the presence of God, this visible light. And if that cloud were to move from the tabernacle, which was in the middle of the camp, Christ in the middle, this light of God, if that would move, then they would follow. And that's how they were guided. And they were protected from Amalekites as well as from scorpions and so on. And and their their feet didn't, uh, their their shoes didn't um, fall into disrepair. And in all of these ways, God cared for them to show how meticulous is the care of the Heavenly Father of His people in the wilderness. And especially, it's about Jesus now, of course, how little, how much they knew of that, we don't know. Not much compared to us. But beloved, now today, this is exactly what we are provided for in this wilderness, Jesus Christ. That's where we come to this thing called church and do this thing which is so foolish in itself of worship and partaking of a sacrament and hearing a man pontificate from the word of God and trusting that God himself would speak through us. That's why we do this, because this is Jesus' way. This is the Jesus' way. It is. The Jesus' way. The Savior of the world way. The light of the world way. The one who is the way and the truth and the life in this wilderness and through this wilderness and from temptation and delivering us from evil, finally, and taking us home. Taking us home. Lover, this is what we preach every single Lord's Day from one point of view and another. It always binds us together. Always binds every single sermon by the grace of God into being really one message. It's Jesus Christ, don't you know? In the wilderness. Jesus Christ, whom to say, doctrinally speaking, forgives us our sins. That's what his blood does. And sanctifies us. That's what his blood does. It sets us apart. Gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us faith, joining us to Him, give us a delight in heavenly things, and congregates us, unites us. All blessings of Jesus. What a great thing. And what a great eternal, eternally long sermon it will be. Begun now and perfectly preached to us in heaven and heard and lived by. But now, beloved, the problem, of course, is that there is temptation and we need to pray, therefore, God lead us not into temptation, which, of course, whatever you think it means, doesn't mean that God 
leads us into temptation, to force us into temptation, if we won't, don't pray this, it simply means, God, lead us so that we ourselves don't respond to the circumstance and the temptation by giving into our flesh. That's really the idea. However you want to explain it, God who leads us sovereignly, and he leads us by the temptations, by, by the bar, by the house of ill repute, into the midst of a crowd we find ourselves, it's not good for us. The God who is that God gives us a way of escape in the midst of the temptations, as Corinthians says, and gives us to pray there that we might be kept from actually falling into it so that we sin. That's the idea. And the possibility is so real because of our flesh. It's not just the wilderness without and the devil without, but the flesh within that's the problem. This was the problem of Israel. And many, most of Israel, so that as we read in this text, there's a bunch of hypocrites in Israel. They all... All our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They, they drank of the spiritual rock and they followed them, that followed them. That rock was Christ, but with most of that all, God was not well pleased. Just a couple entered into the promised land, didn't they, of that first generation? And then the next generation were the only ones who entered in besides those few. Amazing. And this is to teach us that we have the same hypocritical problem, don't we? The tendency to be so inconsistent and so bad and such lousy Christians. Yes that we need to pray this. We need to pray this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lead us, that's how we're to pray here, lead us as families, congregation, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead me, the pastor, I pray, and I pray you pray, not into temptation, but deliver him from evil. Lead the consistory not into temptation to be men-pleasers, respecters of persons, and whatever else we can be as consistory, but deliver us from the evil of poor leadership. Lead the council, lead the deacons, lead the parents, not into temptation, but deliver us all from evil, from the mire of sin, the web of sin, the, the intricacies of the excuses of sin, and deliver us into the clear light of the dawn of the light of Jesus Christ. You see, it's all about tempting Christ, verse 9. I believe that's really a summary of all of their perversity and all of their idolatry dancing around the golden calf and their sexual immorality. And so their 23,000 fell in one day. And really, when you summarize it, it's all about forgetting the Christ of the wilderness, the Christ way who's provided. We don't want that way. We don't want his delights. There's other things, after all, worth delighting in. We say... We don't want to be holy as he commands us to be holy. There's other ways to be happy than holiness. Surely holiness, in fact, is a, a stricture upon the way that would be best for us. That was what Eve thought and Adam thought. The devil said, you're going to be as gods and you're going to be free from this Lord tyrant God. That's what we do. It's like we put Christ to the test. That's the idea. We say, I'm just going to go a little way here and see how much you're going to forgive me. 
Because after all, we believe in sovereign grace. That's the name of our church. We believe in His powerful grace that saves us and keeps us and gives us the Holy Spirit. So now, our flesh argues, we'll just step a little bit over here and test the the merit of grace, to use an odd phrase. To, touch, to test the grace of grace. Is God really going to keep me? And after all, will it not be that when I sin, grace will abound? The old excuse of the compromised Calvinist. Let's sin that grace may abound. Let's test the depth of the love of God by even probing the depth of Satan. That's how foolish we can be. That's why we need to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil and deliver us from ourselves. Because that's our first problem. There's lots of books on temptation. And, you know, I was thinking about in this prayer, uh, in this sermon, You're writing the book, or God's writing the book in you. Every one of us here who's a child of God knows about this prayer, knows about the need of this prayer. Every single day, there's a new temptation. There's a new thought that arises that is the creativity of the devil, which is always destructivity, if I can put it that way. The devil's very creative. He's a genius. But it's always to destroy or divide, certainly to deceive. That's his strategy. Even though it seems so new and so fresh, even maybe an interpretation of Scripture that is not Christ-centered. But at least you'll be different and you'll stand out when you have that that, that interpretation. It's all of the devil. What to do? There are striking examples for us of wilderness behavior from our Savior. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he knows all of our needs and he has met every single one of our need, not the least of which was coming into our flesh and being tempted, tempted in all points like as we are except with, without sin. And one phase of his life, 40 days of his life, was this temptation in the wilderness after his baptism. Remember that? And remember the key word there at the beginning of Matthew 4? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You have a problem with the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What about that verse? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. How can that be if God is good? We have a problem with Him creating the wilderness or letting the wilderness be. We also have a problem, don't we, when He leads us or leads Jesus Himself into the wilderness to be tempted. But we know, of course, this was for a good and holy reason. Our purpose, and one of the, them is which, uh, which was that Jesus would show He's the true Israel of God. You see, there's a picture. When Jesus goes into the wilderness 40 days and he fasts and he has, he's tempted those days, it's a picture of Israel of old that was led for 40 years in the wilderness, but he's the sinless Israel. He's the true son of God, the true child of the promise. And look what he does. Every single time the devil comes at him after this 40 days of of fasting, the devil comes at him every single time he comes with a twisting of the word of God and says, yes, just make these stones bread and so on. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. And that, beloved, is the way out of the temptation for us too. To say it's written before you, before you hear the siren songs of the people calling you their way and they don't bring a word of God or they bring a twisted word of God, say that's your liberty. 
you say, it is really written. It is really written. See, we have to say that today. It's not just written, it's really written. This is the real interpretation. And before that, of course, before there's this word of God with which you meet temptation, there should be a word, and a word that's taught to our children. The word of grace that you parents instill in your children called the word of principles. So before there's a temptation to sit in the back of the car with a feline or a a stud. You have the principle that that's not a good place to be and that marriage is of the Lord and that it's a holy thing and therefore the way to marriage is and ought to be a holy thing and not this 21st century dating thing. Pick them up and drop them. Play with them. Leave them go. They weren't my type. It is written. It ought to be written in our hearts. It ought to be wonderful principles we teach our children. What else? Oh. You know, the Word of God doesn't do a thing if you're proud. Doesn't. Doesn't do a thing if I'm proud. And I'm not saying the Word of God is not powerful, and it will turn you. It's that powerful. But if you're resisting it, God resists the proud. And look what happened to Israel. Look what their sin was, tempting Christ. They were those who were proud, and that's why the admonition in verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This is about what we read every time there's an excommunication in this church, and thankfully there hasn't been many, but there have been some. We always warn the congregation, don't be proud about this. Someone has fallen. Some family has fallen. Don't you be so cocky to think that you're better than they are in yourselves. Pride is the problem, isn't it? It's the problem of our perversity. In our idolatry. And we cannot even pray the prayer, you see. Lead us not into temptation if we're proud because we don't need God. And we don't really have any temptations. That's what we're saying in our pride. But when Jesus says you ought to pray this, he's telling us you are insufficient for keeping yourself from the temptation. Don't think for a minute that you've got this under control. Don't do it. We talked with some of the brethren this past week about the fact that the warfare we wage is against principalities and powers. Dark demons, much more powerful and shrewder than we are. This is the backdrop of the need of this prayer that Jesus wisely says we need. Be humble and dependent on God. That's the point. For your sanctification, you're forgiven? All right, now, for the nasty stuff of walking through this wilderness, the difficult stuff of raising children in the fear of God, of of governing a church and leading and serving a church and bearing along with one another, that requires God and grace. And you're not able to do it, are you? Except God help you. Except God be with you and for you. So be humble. That's why you need to pray and that's why you do pray. And be confident as well. This is something that is so important Because, I don't know about you, but you can fall into temptation once, but no, not really. It's again and again. And often with the same thing. The same attitude, the same look, the same behavior, the same routine you get in. It's a routine of sin. It's a habit of sin. It's terrible. Get into it. Some of us and some of you I know are are caught in sin. You're caught and 
and you think, well, what's the use? It's just the way I'm made, and, and there's no way I'm going to be holy like that person over there, and so you just give in to it, and by the way, you're saved by grace anyway. doesn't matter. Be careful. Be careful. This is the way of hell, and this is the way for you in the church to go to hell. The broad way, right in the midst of the narrow way, is the broad way. Careful. Remember Jesus died for sin. Don't you now live in sin? And remember God, he's not the author of the evil and he's not this malicious father in heaven just hoping you're going to fall into this trap that he's laid how blasphemy to th- uh, blasphemous to think of that. Because look what the text says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That's comforting enough, I guess. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You believe that? You've sinned 489 times. The same thing, you've gone to the same internet site again and again, and you've watched the anime and the TikTok and the YouTube, and don't you get sick of it? Aren't you realizing that it doesn't satisfy? Well, here's what you need to know in light of the Word of God. That's not beyond a graced person's ability to overcome because it's grace and God provides a way of escape. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do we believe that as much as we believe that God has provided a way of salvation in Jesus Christ and forgiveness in his blood and the generosity of heaven is revealed there in the commendation of the love of God. Don't we believe that in the nasty now and now, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there's going to be Christ for you and Christ for me for every bit of the way? Don't you believe that God who is hallowed in his na- the, the name of his Son being exalted in the practical working out in the lives of the people of salvation, don't you believe there will be a way to get out of it? You better believe it. That's the word of God. You are not forced ever to sin, ever. That's a lie. I said, the devil made me do it. Uh, This is just the way I am. I had to do it. No way. Nor is it the lesser of two evils. That's hogwash. The way which is the best way, which is purity, is always before you. You're not in a closet. You're not closed in by sin such that there's not a light and there's not a door and there's not an opportunity to utter a prayer. God, help me. This is how good God is. When Jesus prayed, not that the people would be taken out of the world, he prayed in John 17 at the same time that they may be kept from the world. In the world, but not of it, not from it, and not victims. I think we can think we're victims after a while. And in a way, we are. The devil just throws his poison darts at us, and he throws his poison dart, and he wants us to think we're just dead. And we're just going to hang on, and we're, yep, whatever. Don't believe that. There's much more to Christianity than being mere victims and hobblers along, but in Christ is victory over little sin, big sin, every single sin. Not that we're perfectionists, not that we're going to become 
as pure as the driven snow and whatever, and perfectionism is not what we teach here, but we, we do teach progress, pilgrims' progress. And this is sure because this is the word of God. You believe that? Do I believe that? Do we believe that God's going to answer our prayer, going to give us to pray, going to give us a word to say in the midst of our temptations, going to give us hope, which is a lively hope, whereby we purify ourselves in the light of that hope, is going to give us in the wilderness who know the cross of Christ in the wilderness to take up our cross in that wilderness. You see, every temptation is basically a denial of the cross. Christ and yours. It's saying, no, I'll go so far, I'll come to church, it's convenient, and so on. It makes me feel good, it eases my conscience. But when it really comes push to shove, you yield. Because that's too hard, you say. It's too hard. Oh, beloved congregation, that we may know Christ crucified and risen among us increasingly resisting temptation soldiers of the cross progressives in that way in the progress of the pilgrim through the wilderness all the way home it all depends on this God is faithful as the word says who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Depends on God, the faithfulness of God, and Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Now we hear the word. Lead us not into temptation, really. Lead us to be, give us to be principled people whose practice shows we live out of truth in this wilderness, but led through to the promised land. Bless everyone, those who are addicts, Release them from the bondage of sin. Those who are hopeless, give hope to them. And all of us, Lord, grant your spirit and humility to trust in you and to pray to you. Lord, our God in heaven, hallowed be your name as you answer this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.